Long ago, the maid of a doctor in Kyoto went to the outhouse at night, and while she was conducting her affairs, a hairy hand reached up out of the toilet and began to stroke her buttocks. She was obviously very frightened and immediately ran inside where she informed the doctor what had happened. On hearing it, the doctor grabbed a sword and with a shout, ran out to the outhouse. And when the hand again reached up out of the toilet, the doctor grabbed it, chopped it off with his sword. He brought the hand inside and put it in his examination room. The next evening, there was a knock at the front door. Assuming it was a patient, the doctor went out, but discovered it was the creature. Please return my arm, it asked politely. If I don't apply medicine and reattach it soon, I won't be able to reattach it at all. I promise I won't do anything bad anymore, so please return my arm. When the doctor at first refused, it signed a pledge promising to teach him secret knowledge and how to make a medicine for mending bones. And so it seems, the doctor returned his arm. And after this, it is said, the doctor prospered as a specialist in setting bones. to all you lovely people out there in the newly blossoming hinterlands. It's Rockin' Max, and we're going to be your guides as we wander through Japanese spirit realms here on Nightmares and Daydreams. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. As always, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And, as always, fun. And that was a good monster voice, Max. You scared me. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, my man. Fun is important, Max. But do you want to know what's not funny? Besides a monkey-like arm reaching up from the porta potty to grab your butt? Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm not sure that's fun, but besides that... So, what's not fun? Weird spirits of almost any kind, from a giant foot to a one-eyed ogre to animated teacups that torment the people around them. You mean like Chip and Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast? Okay, you know, they seem nice in the Disney movie, but think about what that'd be like in real life. You're just trying to make a nice cuppa and the dishes start talking to you? Ah, <laughs> oh, hell nah. Yeah, I guess that could be disconcerting. Just a bit. So, mm -hmm. Chip and Mrs. Potts, were they yokai? Well, it's not that they were, but there are yokai of that specific sort. Oh, by the way, lovely listeners, we're, um... <laughs> We're talking about yokai today, by the way. <laughs> it's good that we let them in, yeah, after you ruined my bit. So, Max, what are yokai? As you intimated, they are paranormal spirits and beings of almost any kind. So they're kind of a catch-all, like many different kinds of yokai, according to the lore, right? Yeah, and of course, it may be hard to tell, but the intro story was about a very popular type of yokai with whom our listeners are already acquainted. Oh? Yes. In fact, our very first five minutes of folklore was about him. Ah, the Kappa. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And you were the research expert on him back in the day, episode 21, I believe it was. So long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so perhaps you could remind our listeners briefly about him before we move on to some of the myriad others. For sure. All right, gang. So these aquatic cucumber-loving yokai dwell in rivers and other bodies of water. Like toilets? Apparently. 
So they look like squat, hairy men with turtle-like shells and have a bowl-like object on their heads. It's said their consuming politeness can be used to defeat them because if you bow to them, they're compelled to bow in return, which causes the water in their head bowl to spill. And that water kind of contains their life force. Trixie. Mm -hmm. And why would we want to defeat such a polite little turtle monkey? <laughs> turtle monkey, that's good. Well, they're not all sunshines and rainbows, Maxie. And there's a reason he might have been grabbing at that young woman's behind. Oh? As we said in episode 21, they try to get a human's shirokidama, which contains the soul and is said to rely in the buttock area, shall we say? The, uh... Kappa definitely has some ulterior motives, and he might look cute, but he's not a good dude. Kawabunga, dude. What other kind of yokai we got? Well, why don't we just tell a story? Sounds good to me. It is said there was a monk traveling alone through the province of Setsu, near present-day Osaka. He came upon a deserted temple and, deciding to settle in there for the night, began chanting to the guardian deity Fudo. Suddenly, a crowd of maybe a hundred people came surging through the temple, all carrying torches. When they got close, he saw that they were fantastically weird creatures and not human at all. There were all sorts of them, some with only one eye, some with horns, or their heads were more terrible than words can describe. The monk spent a terrifying night, but Fudo must have protected him because he survived. Finally, the troop of Oni left and the sun rose and the monk was stunned to discover that there was no temple there at all and he could not find the path he followed to get there. Eventually, he encountered some other travelers who informed him that he was in the province of Hizen, hundreds of miles from Setsu. That's a cool story, Rock. Albeit a scary one. An illusory temple full of ogres and strange spirits? Yikes. No thanks, man. Yeah, you know, that would be cause for a sleepless night for sure. You're just there trying to get a night's rest, get some prayer going on in an old temple, and bam, a troop of Oni come in and waste your flavor. So tell us about the Oni. Well, you'll recall that this yokai too was covered, albeit surreptitiously, in another bonus episode. I do remember. The Ogre of Rashomon, mm -hmm. your relaxing read story. Yes, sir. And I'll just tell you that Emily B. and Adrian T. both messaged us on Instagram to request more relaxing reads. So, hey, you need to get on that. For sure. Emily, Adrian, keep on listening. They're coming. So, yeah, uh, Oni are basically ogres, or at least the Japanese versions of them. So how does the Japanese version differ from the European version? Well, really, ogre is just a translation. Sometimes it's been translated as devil or demon, so... So it's just the best approximation. Right, right. Or an approximation. Yeah. But oni are usually described as human-like male figures with blue, black, red, or sometimes even yellow skin. They have clawed hands and sharp protruding fangs or tusks. They have horns and usually carry an iron staff or club. Now, a lot of these features vary, but the horns, whether there is one or more, are one of the Oni's most commonly described characteristics. So, based on that description, and the images I've seen of Oni, which definitely match, I have to say, Ogre sounds like a fairly apt translation. Yeah, much more than devil or demon, 
I agree. Uh, and that's the question. Is it a bait zoo or Tanari? Is it an ogre mage? <laughs> Old school D&D in the house. We really need to get you back to the gaming table so you can For real. stop making random D&D comments because I never do that. <laughs> okay, so are Oni always male? Actually, no. Some of the earliest recorded stories about them are, in fact, about the Yomotsi Shikomi, the so-called hags of Yomi. Ooh, hags. We love us some hags. Episode 2, y'all. Check it out. So there's another story from around 1200 that describes a young woman who is neglected by her lover. She stops eating and becomes bedridden for some time until one day she ties her hair up into five knots and smeared jelly in them, letting them dry and harden like horns. Then she put on a red skirt and quietly ran away into the night. And she was an Oni? Hold on, young Padawan. And by the way, that woman's behavior, totally normal. Yeah, no, absolutely. After around 30 years, word begins to spread that there's a demon living in the old temple who has been wreaking havoc in surrounding villages. Finally, the villagers get together, burn the temple down, as you do, and from the flames burst a creature with five horns, wearing a red skirt, bent at the hips, and indescribably frightening. She's probably rocking a cane as well. You know, it's been 30 years. (laughs) I'm sure they immediately thought she was a monster. The Oni, as the villagers called her, identified herself and said she had murdered the man who deserted her. After that, she said, no matter how much I tried, I couldn't regain my physical self. Interesting. It's like the commission of murder transformed her into an ogre. Evil made manifest into the body, yeah. And our listeners will remember that's kind of the whole belief with witchcraft, right? The evil magic kind of transforms them into these monstrous crowns. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So what happened after that? Tragically, in tears, after having confessed her crime, she leaped into the fire and died. Well, sometimes it's just best to let that lover go, people. He ain't worth it, y'all. He's not worth turning into an ogre for. You feel me? So as you can see, yokai are pretty much any kind of supernatural creature. They run the gamut. So it seems, yeah. You need to watch the show Yokai Watch, Rock, and you too, listeners. Yokai Watch, yeah, never heard of it. Yeah, it's an animated show. Uh, it's about a kid who befriends a yokai who gives him what's called a yokai watch. Yeah, hence the uh, name of that show. I'm figuring. I nailed it. Mm-hmm. So when you wear the watch, it's a you know just a timepiece. Mm-hmm. You can see yokai which are normally imperceptible to humans or only perceptible when they choose to be. Wow. He goes around finding yokai and either befriending or defeating them. That sounds cool, Max. But it ain't no witcher is all I gots to say. <laughs> like one time there was a yokai called Tattletail mm-hmm. who attaches himself to the head of people and forces them to say things they normally keep secret. Yeah, that could be bad. Yeah, it attaches itself to the head of a girl in school that he likes, named Katie. Mm -hmm. And then she proceeds to tell everyone in school about how the main character, Nate, made a really stinky number two in the bathroom. (laughs) All right, so uh, this is some (laughs) high-end stuff, like the Shakespearean-level drama we're talking about, right? What can I say? I only watch high-quality TV, masterpiece theater, and the like. Exactly, PBS all day long. All right, so uh, tell us some more about Yokai. Well, we mentioned Chip and Mrs. Potts. We did. And they would be a type of yokai called the Tsukumagami. Mm. Basically tools and other typically man-made objects that change into spirits after a hundred years. And then they often become tricksters or mischief makers of sorts. Uh Uh-oh, that could be interesting. At the end of the year, families discard old furniture. Like Cogsworth. 
Who? Oh, the clock and Come on. Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So they discard old stuff, furniture, utensils, whatnot, toss them at the side of the road. Then, on New Year's, the clothing, utensils, whatever, change shape. They become angry at the wastefulness and extravagance of wealthy families that would just toss them away. I mean, that seems fair enough. Don't be wasteful, listeners. Recycle and don't litter. Don't mess with Texas. Or Japan, you know. Or anywhere. All right, all right. How about another tale, Maxie? You ready? I am absolutely ready. Once, someone in a certain house was possessed by a spirit, and when it had been transferred to a medium, it spoke through her, saying, I am not an evil spirit, only a fox who happened to come wandering by. I have a young family at home in my den who are hungry, so I came here because it seemed to me that in a place like this, there would be food lying about. Please give me some rice cakes and I'll go. The people of the house had some rice cakes made and gave them to the girl who ate a few of them and said they were delicious. Some of the people muttered. She only pretended it was a fox possessing her because she wanted rice cakes. The spirit then spoke again. Will you please let me have some paper so that I can wrap up this food and take it home for my wife and my children to eat? A large parcel of rice cakes was wrapped up in two pieces of paper and the girl stuffed it into her dress with the end sticking out by her chest. Then she said to the exorcist, drive me out now and I'll go away. Out, out, he cried. And the girl stood up and then fell flat on her face. When she got back up again, the parcel in her dress was gone and she was unaware of what had transpired. Kitsune, foxies. Yet another yokai that we've covered in five minutes of folklore, y'all. Come to think of it, we've done small bits of a lot of different yokai over the seasons. We love us some Japanese myths and legends. And food and sake, we do. <laughs> and I know you love foxes, Max, so I had to tell that story. So, in episode 36, our Kitsune episode... Go back and check it out, y'all. Well, we talked about how Kitsune possess people, or can do so, if I remember correctly. We did. But while it's certainly intrusive, the mischief in that particular story didn't seem altogether harmful. I mean, besides a little girl falling flat on her face, that was, you know, quasi-dangerous. <laughs> True. But I don't think she was hurt. I mean, she got right back up. Yeah, kids are pretty durable, if you say so. <laughs> they recover. Anyways, I don't think it was always as harmless as a hungry fox spirit looking for rice cakes or a hungry fox. Another story I know of a fox person mischief that, while not possession really, demonstrates a kind of control and how it could really mess up a human's life. Do tell, amigo. So it said in 896... Under Emperor Uda. Very specific. There was a man named Kaya no Yoshifuji who lived in the village of Ashimori. His wife went to the capital, leaving him alone for a time. But he is said to have been a very, let's say, lustful man. Mm. And he had a difficult time bearing his wife's absence. Cheating around on your significant other show ain't right, Max. One evening, at twilight, he was out for a stroll when he spotted a beautiful young woman he had not seen before and immediately desired her. She tried to run when he reached for her, but he caught her and asked who she was. All right, man, now this creep is accosting ladies in the streets. I'm wishing super bad things on him. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. not okay, people. But he asked who she was, and very sweetly she answered, nobody. Oh, wise move. She's like Odysseus. Exactly. Well, eventually, Yoshifuji followed her back home, a pretty home filled with servants. 
that evening, they did end up sleeping together, and he became so enamored of her, he forgot all about his own wife and children and pledged his eternal love to the young woman. His new wife, as he began to think of her, soon became pregnant. And when she gave birth, Yoshifuji was delighted and had not a care in the world for his previous life. Meanwhile, back at his first home, Yoshifuji's disappearance had caused a great commotion and many fruitless searches were undertaken. His family prayed and did everything a devout family might do to encourage his return. In Yoshifuji's new home, a man with a stick arrived and his new family fled in terror. Yoshifuji, confused, froze. He remained. The man came at him and began poking him with the stick, forcing him out of a narrow passage. It was the 13th evening after his disappearance, and the people at his old home were still shaking their heads over what had happened when a dark monkey-like creature crawled out from under the storehouse behind the home. Mm-mm. What could it be? Through the jabber of the excited onlookers came a voice saying, It's me. It was Yoshifuji. He explained about his wonderful new life and his new child. A servant was sent to investigate the storehouse, and foxes ran off in every direction. Although there was very little space beneath the structure, it seemed that's where Yoshifuji had been. A fox had tricked him. He had married the fox and was no longer in his right mind. His 13 days in the fox otherworld had seemed to him like 13 years. Wow. Man, that is some straight-up, high-level fairy glamour right there. It does seem a lot like it, doesn't it? You know what, yokai, we haven't talked about, Max? Um, There's hundreds, I'm sure. Probably thousands. No, but this is one of the most important ones. I can't believe you missed it so far. What is this all-important type of yokai? Henga yokai! (laughs) Oh, from D&D? Exactly, man. The second edition PC race of animal spirit shapeshifters. Going old school with a thacko, y'all. If you know, you know, right? (laughs) As I recall, they had a number of animal forms, Mm -hmm. which I think included like carp. I don't know why you'd pick that, but... Super powerful. uh, Yeah. Difficult on land, but, you know, pretty good in the water. (laughs) Cat, crab, crane, dog, fox, of course, Mm -hmm. hare, monkey raccoon dog, rat, and sparrow. Okay, and I'm looking it up in the old school Monster Manuel, Monster Manuel, and uh, you forgot one, the drake. Interesting. I thought it was just natural animals. Well, raccoon dog, though, yeah? I mean, that's a classic, right? The tanuki are very similar to the kitsune, but they are raccoon dog spirits instead of foxes, and they have giant big balls that when you rub them for good luck, apparently good things happen. I don't know, man. <laughs> nice. Big, bald raccoon dogs. But, you know, what else is there in this life? <laughs> are, they, are they mischief makers and shape changers as well? 100%, man. They can even change into humans. But their mischief tends on the whole to be more benign than that of the foxes or the kitsune. How so? Well, generally, they're more comical. They often hide in holes and emerge to steal food, chicken, fruit, rice. They're very food motivated. And they are known to entertain themselves by thumping on their bellies and big balls. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, while the tanuki tales are generally pretty fun and lighthearted, it always pays to be careful with spirit folk. Also, if you want to learn more about the tanuki, check out the Studio Ghibli classic Pompoko. Oh, yeah. You'll see the big balls in all their glory. <laughs> all right. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, just like being respectful. 
You know, there's one famous story called Kachi Kachiyama, which means crackling fire mountain. In the story, a tanuki kills an old woman and makes her into soup, which is fun. <laughs> it's all fun and games until someone gets put in the soup. Exactly. And then he shape changes into her shape and feeds the soup to her husband. You know, because that's just kind of wacky comic stuff right there. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty vicious. That's like some Greek tragedy stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying the nicey-nice tanuki propaganda. Tanuki propagandists have been pushing that line for centuries. You know, there's another D&D race that we haven't covered yet. A uh, yokai D&D race? Uh, which one? The Tengu. Well... Agreed, but technically we have. We mentioned them in our very first episode, y'all, La Lechuza. Which, gang, we will be adding a second episode because so many of you have asked for it. Our first episode still has a lot of staying power, man. People love it. Damn, good memory. Yeah, gang, you ask, we deliver. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we very briefly mentioned the Tengu, but let's dig just a little bit deeper. So in D&D, they are a race of kind of crow people. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's slightly different from reality. Or at least the real legend. I know in 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves, he goes into the Tengu forest to get swords, and they have kind of beakish noses, and they're kind of monk-like and kind of bird-like eyes, but they're definitely humanoid. Movie, you know, kind of portrays them as these bird-like ninjas. Great movie, by the way. So there are actually two types of Tengu, as I understand. The Karasu Tengu, or Crow Tengu, is a bird creature... Similar to the D&D race, as I understand it, um, they have wings, beaked mouths, and can fly. But during the Edo period, from about 1600 to the mid-19th century, the concept became more human and more monkish. But, okay, check it. Doesn't the word Tengu mean dog or something like that? Yeah, it's apparently etymologically from the Chinese Tiangu, or heavenly dog. I summon celestial dire dog. Now. Exactly. In Chinese text, I think it refers to a celestial object like a comet. But in Japan, the first recorded use of it is in 637, where it's recorded that a quote-unquote great star or meteor crossed the sky and there was a large boom. A monk explained that it wasn't a shooting star, but a celestial dog whose bark is like thunder. Cool, but how did that become the bird or monk-like... Tengu that we know. I don't think anyone knows, really. It was just a gradual process of storytelling over the centuries, I think. Hey, so let's have a Tengu story, shall we? Surely. Do you know one you want to tell? You know it. Sutoku ascended to the throne when he was just a child. The official record stated that Sutoku was the eldest son of Emperor Toba. It was an open secret that he was actually sired by Toba's father, the retired Emperor Shirakawa. Shirakawa wielded considerable power behind the throne in his retirement, and he forced Toba to abdicate in favor of the young Sutoku, whom Shirakawa could control much more easily than the older and more ambitious Toba. After Shirakawa died, Toba became the power behind the throne. Toba hated Sutoku, whom he considered a bastard son. He enacted his revenge upon Sutoku by convincing the young emperor to appoint Toba's son as his successor 
and join him in retirement. Sutoku did so, and Konoe, at only three years old, became the new emperor. Konoe was entirely the puppet of his father Toba, yet all of Sutoku's supporters transferred to distant provinces and filled the capital with people loyal to Toba. Emperor Konoe was sickly his whole life. He passed away childless at the age of 17. This sparked a succession crisis between Toba's next oldest son and Sutoka's son, both of whom had claim to the throne. The imperial court, full of Toba's supporters, decided in favor of Toba's son, Go Shirakawa. When Toba died the following year, Sutoka's supporters attempted to overthrow the young emperor Go Shirakawa. There was a brief and bloody fight, but the rebellion was quickly put down. Go Shirakawa's revenge against the rebels was merciless. They and their families were executed, and Sutoka was banished to Sanuki province. Sutoka lived out the remainder of his life in exile as a monk. He shaved his head and devoted his efforts to hand-copying the holy sutras. After years of work, Sutoku sent his prayer scrolls and manuscripts to Kyoto as an offering for the imperial temples. Go Shirakawa suspected that Sutoku may have cursed the work and refused to accept them. Instead, he had the manuscripts sent back to Sutoku. This rejection proved to be the final straw for the exiled emperor. Sutoku bit off his own tongue, and as he bled to death, he wrote in his own blood a powerful curse against Japan and the emperor. He poured all of his hatred and resentment from his entire life into that curse. As he bled, he transformed into a great Tengu. His nails and his hair grew long, and he never cut them again for the rest of his life. When Sutoku passed away, his body was set aside while his caretakers awaited funeral instructions from the emperor. After 20 days, his body was still as fresh as it had been on the day he died. Go Shirakawa ordered that nobody should go into mourning and that no state funeral would be held. While his coffin was taken to be cremated, a terrible storm rolled in. The caretakers placed the casket on the ground to take shelter. After the storm passed, the stones around the casket were soaked with fresh blood. When his body was finally cremated, the ashes rose into the sky and descended upon Kyoto as a dark cloud. For many years after his death, disaster upon disaster struck the capital. Go Shirakawa's successor, Emperor Nijo, died suddenly at age 23. Storms, plagues, fires, droughts, and earthquakes all pounded the capital. Imperial power weakened, clan rivalries grew more and more violent. Many of Go Shirakawa's allies were killed in battle and the country stepped closer and closer towards a disaster. Finally, in 1180, civil war broke out. After five years of bloody fighting, the power of the imperial court was drained, and the Kamakura shogunate seized control of Japan. All of this was attributed to Emperor Sutoku's curse. There are rumors that Sutoku's vengeance lingers even today. In 2012, when NHK broadcast the historical drama Tara no Kiyomori, an earthquake struck the Kanto region right at the moment when Emperor Sutoku laid his curse, proving to some that the power of the former emperor's curse had never truly faded away. So in this case, the Tengu was basically the cursed and bitter spirit of a human. Kind of like the fairy stories we often talk about. I think the yokai and spirits of the dead, you know, they kind of often overlap. Fascinating. Fascinating indeed. 
Well, Max, I believe with that, we are done. And gang, thanks for hanging out with Max and myself. It's much appreciated. And like we say, if we could take your mind off all the craziness going on right now just for a little bit, then our job is done. 100% rock. And once again, a special shout out to Diana, Dwayne, Johnny, and Adriana, our beloved patrons. You guys rule. You can join them in supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmares podcast. Tears start at only a dollar. Or if you find folks want to support the podcast, head on over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast for a delicious and oh-so-invigorating one-time donation so Max and I can maintain our caffeine addiction. It's much appreciated, y'all. Shout out as well to the best bard in the business, our own Teresa Joy, who gives us that amazing sound that so many of you have commented on. She good. Find and follow her at Viobrite on Facebook and Instagram. And check out her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. And please, gang, head over to whatever podcast you listen to us on and grant us that boon of a five-star review. Or do us one better and take the time to write a review. Help get our podcast out there, y'all. It's much appreciated. Also, join us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All that. We love to see you. We love to hear from you. We do. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more of. 100%, Max. Finally, gang, head on over to our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net and holler at your boys like we say. Like Max said earlier, we'd love to hear from you. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.